Yeah, let's give it up for the band this morning, man. Yeah. Well, welcome to Impact Week Two of our series, Squad. And uh, my name is John. Um, I don't know some of you because I was gone for a little while. And um, so I've met some of you for the first time in the last couple of weeks since being back from sabbatical. It is so good to be back here. I'm one of our pastors on staff. And I get the honor, the privilege of sharing today um, from the book of Mark. I don't know if you have a favorite gospel, but I have a favorite gospel. And it's usually kind of in order. It goes John and then Matthew and then Luke. And Mark comes up in last place every time. I'm not really sure why, but I rarely preach from Mark. I'm, I, I love that I get to dig into the text um, from Mark chapter 10 today as we're in this series, uh, Squad. Throughout this series, we're talking about team impact, what it means to be a part of the church, what it means to be a part of the God squad, as Jason said last week. Um, last weekend, we, we talked from 2 Thessalonians on leadership. How many of you are here for that? Amen. Yeah? Um, and you were blessed by a word from Jay and, and just challenged, I hope, um, to be a leader in your circle, to be a leader in your home, to be a leader in your workplace, to be a leader. Uh, next week, we're going to be talking about the mission of the church. In a couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about next-gen weekend, multi-generational ministry, how the church is bigger than just uh, young and old separately, but we are all a part of this mission together. Um, we're going to be talking about evangelism, discipleship, all these components that make the church the church. And this week, I get the privilege to share on a topic that's really near and dear to my heart, and I think it's because of how I was raised. Uh, my parents came up and visited us um, this weekend, and my dad, just last summer, um, retired from about 45 years of ministry. And I watched them in the last four to five decades, I've watched them uh, be faithful when no one's looking. I watched them be servants even when it wasn't popular. And it's not tagged on to like leadership, so it's a popular thing, it's servant leadership. And, and it wasn't manipulative. And it wasn't with some kind of an angle. And it wasn't with some kind of uh, you know, outcome where I scratch your back, you scratch mine. I've watched them serve over and over again, year after year in these places of difficulty. And so this topic of service is near and dear to my heart. This week, we're talking about servanthood. Um, and the scripture is just replete with this call to service. In fact, when Jesus called his disciples, he did not call them to be leaders. He did not call them to be pastors. He did not initially even call them to start the church. He, you know what he called them to do? He called them to be followers. He called them to follow. He called them to serve. He called them to empty themselves. He called them to stoop down and to take on the form of a servant. Mark chapter 10, if you have your Bibles, you can open up there. We're gonna begin in verse 35. Um, if you don't have a physical Bible with you, which probably most of you don't, you can pull out this thing and you can uh, download the Bible app and just type it right in. Then you don't even have to flip and wonder where you're going, okay? Type in Mark chapter 10, verse 35, and uh, you can follow along on the screen as well. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. 
him being Jesus. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Did you know that's in there? <laughs> what, what do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and one at the other at your left in glory. You don't know what you're asking. Jesus said, can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or at my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. How cryptic of Jesus right here. We'll get to that in a bit. When the 10 heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must become or must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. For even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This, this verse right here that we just read, the last one, Mark 10, 45, this verse makes the gospel good. Amen. For the son of man, Jesus, the son of God, God Almighty did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This, this one verse has packed into it. It has servanthood packed into it. It has salvation packed into it. It has substitutionary atonement packed into it. It has, you can't pay the price of your freedom. So Jesus comes as a ransom. That's what a ransom is. You're in bondage. You and I are in bondage. We can't pay our way out. We can't earn our way out. We can't claw our way out, scheme our way out of our bondage. Jesus comes and he's the ransom. I'll pay that price. I'll pay that price for you. This is what makes the good news, the gospel good news. Now, um, I love this time of year coming back to school. For, for me, it has memories of soccer seasons coming back together. How many of you are in, played sports, fall sports? Football fans out there, where are my football fans? Football's coming around and, and soccer and volleyball and maybe cross country, cross country. Okay, nope, not many of you. No, all right. Lacrosse, am I missing anyone? Chess club? Chess club? Is that, is, you know what happens, what happens is with a team in the fall um, or before any season, what happened when I was coaching uh, soccer, we would, at the beginning of the season, we'd get all the guys around and have this, not just on the field, but off the field, we'd get everyone around. And we're like, what do we want to accomplish this season? What are our goals? As a squad, what do we want to be about? And we'd start writing down, you've, you've been a part of these kind of, of gatherings. You'd start writing down certain goals. All right, we wanna, we wanna uh, last year we were uh, a losing team. So we wanna be 500 this year. Or no, uh, last year we were so close to the championship. We wanna, we wanna make it to conference this year. We wanna, we wanna make it on beyond. We wanna go to state. We wanna win this. We, want, we wanna have this, these kind of, but then you would start talking about other goals. 
Well, what do we wanna be about though? Not just numbers, but who do we wanna be? What do we want our attitude to be like? And so you'd start writing down words like resiliency, perseverance, hard work, ethic, And you're building, what you're doing is you're collectively before the season as a squad, you're like, all right, guys, let's huddle up. What are we going for? Today, I don't usually do this in a message, but we are setting off from the onset of this message with two goals in mind. We're gonna set the trajectory of our goals as we're interacting with God's word from Mark chapter 10. Two goals for this weekend. Number one is active service. Okay, this is actionable Uh, What I call it is orthopraxy. This is a theological term. Ortho means straight or right. And praxy is where we get practice. So it's right practice, right living, right habits. Okay. This is a part of the team where we're like, hey, what do we want to do? Not just like pie in the sky, we're going to come together and talk about things and not do anything. What do we want to do and accomplish? Where are my doers out there? Like enough with the theory stuff. Don't give me any of that. I don't want the classroom. I want the boots on the ground. That's you. Okay, active service. The second goal though is the flip side of the same coin and it's an attitude of service. This is something that's not really even tangible. You can grab at it, but it's, it's, not, it's something that actually sifts through your fingers. It's not, you don't see it. Um, you can't check it off a list. You can't account for it in a set of time. It's beyond time. It dictates how you engage in everything. Attitude of service. This is what we're calling orthodoxy, which is right believing. Both of these being essential goals for us this weekend. And some of you, you're gonna gravitate toward one or the other. And I just want you to pray even now and ask God to direct your heart. Where God would you want me to, what actionable step for me? Maybe it's something that's theological. Maybe it's something that's beyond theology and it's practice. These are our two goals this week, an act of service and an attitude of service. My goal here is that you would first be transformed in your thinking. We've said this before, we'll say it again. You change your thinking, you change your life. That you would submit your heart afresh to the way of Jesus. So Mark chapter 10, let's dive back into our story. We read it all um, already. We're going to dive back into the story. Mark chapter 10, verse 35. And aren't you thankful for God's word? Amen. Are you thankful for God's word? Yes. Now, I am so grateful for God's word that it's living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It, it divides, it, it pierces, it convicts, it encourages, it admonishes, and it's live for us. It wants to say something to you and I today, right? Yeah. Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 35, then James and John, the sons of Zebedee came to him, teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. I don't, I've read Mark before and this just never stood out to me. It was kind of shocking that it's in scripture. I mean, how bold and how dumb does somebody have to be to come up to Jesus and say, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. We want our desires, you to do for us. We want to receive a gift and not just any gift. We don't want you to give us a random gift. We want to tell you exactly what kind of gift we want, okay? You've been a part of like that kind of Christmas exchange where it's like, let me tell you, babe, you, I don't, 
I don't want you to guess what I want because that doesn't go so well, all right? And then you lose the receipt and I'm left with this thing hanging in my closet and I never want to wear it. I want, it's exactly this. Here's the URL, okay? <laughs> go to that link and this is the size and it's, you know, they want exactly what they want and they know what they want and, and they know exactly what they want and they're, they're commanding Jesus. They're coming to Jesus with that kind of audacity. Yeah, I, I love Guys, I love that the Bible has stories like this riddled throughout. Don't you? Yeah. Amen. I love that there are dense people in the Bible like James and John and Peter and the disciples and David and Moses and all of the heroes of our faith. Unbelievable. And that God's word includes this in there where it's like, wait a minute, that, they do that? Well, how could they do? Oh, wait, I do. I, and it becomes a mirror for us. I love that there are people who fail and give, and yet God gives second chances and third chances and fourth chances and hundredth chances. I could preach a month of Sundays on this sentence. We want you to do for us whatever we ask. We treat, this is them treating and us treating Jesus, treating God like a genie in a bottle. Okay. Aladdin was one of my favorite cartoons growing up. It's the genie in the bottle. You're familiar with it. You've got this genie, this all-powerful genie, and there's a lamp and you rub the lamp and the, the genie comes out. What wishes, master? And they don't even call you master. What wishes would you want? Anything is yours. Just say it. Well, and, and you know what? Okay, money and uh, stuff and power. And, and, it's, and it comes down and all these wants, all these desires. And this is how we treat God so often. We want you to do for us whatever we ask. Notice what Jesus does though in verse uh, 36 right afterward. He does not blow it up. Okay, think to yourself, if you were Jesus, what would you do here? I'd blow it up. Just even a little bit of a flex. Just a small little flex, one bolt of lightning. Just to show him who's boss, you know what I'm saying? Like, listen up, boy, son. All right, that's what I'm like, Jesus, that's what I would do. I'd be like, you talking to me? Are you, are you talking to me? Do you know who I am? You know, you'd flex. That's how the world does it. You step into a board meeting and someone steps on someone's toes and the CEO, CFO, COO, whoever, whatever, O you wanna, they come up and they're like, boy, that's just how it's gonna be. And then you watch them kind of shrink back and they show, you know, they sink down in their seat. Jesus doesn't do that. He's patient. He said, he asks this question. What is it that you want me to do for you? I love that. Do you know that God asks you and I this question? And he doesn't ask this question to be coy. He doesn't ask this question, um, you know, to be manipulative. He asks this question so that you would search your heart. He, he is the master exposer of our hearts. Amen. He comes and he asks that question and he did it in the New Testament. He did it with other people, sick people. Sick people came to Jesus and he asked them the, the it's just silly to me. It's an odd question. He's like, do you want to be well? <laughs> no, I like being blind. I mean, what's it, really? Do I want to be well? And Jesus knows that some of us, this is what's so 
tragic of our state of sin. Jesus knows that some of us, we want to want to be well. We don't really want to be well. We want, we like the idea of wanting to be well. We really don't want to be freed from sin because that means we let go of our pride. That means we let go of our uh, crutches. That means we let go of our, uh, uh, the things that we abuse, our secrets, all of our stuff, I mean, all of our sin. And we like it. We don't like it. It's a love-hate relationship. We want to want to be done with it, but we don't really want to be well. What do you want me to do for you? He asks, and they replied, let us, let one of us sit at your right and other, the other at your left in glory. Now this is close to the end of Jesus' life. And uh, they believe that Jesus is the Messiah. They've said that over and over again. They just have the wrong Messiah. They, they just have the wrong idea of Jesus. Have you ever had the wrong idea of God? You've treated God in a certain way and God's like, that's not really who I ever said I was. You're trying to make God, that's what's in the Bible, it's called idolatry. We make God into an image that we want him to be in. The disciples did this. So they believed that Jesus was the Messiah. They just had the wrong idea of the Messiah. They saw them, they thought the Messiah was this political figure. He was gonna come, he was gonna take out Roman rule. He was, and then because there were the 12, of course, you guys, you're my uh, presidential cabinet. You guys get to be your secretary of defense, your secretary of state. Yep, you can be this one. And that's what they're thinking. Like, hey, let us sit at your right and left. Let us be, when you come into political power and overthrow everyone else and we get to do whatever we want, can we be your henchmen? Can we be your right and your left? Jesus goes on, he says, you don't know what you're asking for. You don't know what you're asking for. Can you drink the cup I drink <clears throat> or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? Did you know that Dr. Seuss was a part of this? I feel like I'm reading Fox and Socks. Do you remember that Dr. Seuss book where it's like a tongue twister? Baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with. And they answered, we can. You will drink the cup I drink and you'll be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These belong to those for whom they have been prepared. James and John come to Jesus with these exposed desires. They respond to Jesus, we want you to do whatever we ask. Human interest, power. These are some of our default desires I've got up here on the screen. Our default desires that we just, I think that James and John, that Peter, that the disciples came to over and over again, that we tap into all the time. Right up here, position, I wanna be special. Power, I want to be strong. Platforms, I want to be seen. Pleasure, I want to be satisfied. Pride, I want to be served. I want, I need. I wanna be special and strong and seen and satisfied and served. And Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking for. And he says a couple of things in these next verses. He says, he talks about a baptism. He talks about a cup. He talks about seating of honor that he doesn't even get to dictate, which is really odd because Jesus, aren't you God? Don't you get to decide that? The first thing that he says is, can you drink the cup that I drink? This is not your favorite soda. 
on ice. This isn't your favorite chilled drink. This isn't a LaCroix with, that's perfect. Do, do some of you like LaCroix? That's, you're, you're weird. That's just, it's just, it's just different. You know, I'm not a fan, okay? It's not your favorite drink. This isn't refreshing. In fact, the cup that Jesus is referring to here is from the Old Testament and it's found in, in Psalms, uh, I think, I believe 75, in Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Habakkuk, and Zechariah. And they all talk about this kind of cup. And when they do talk about this kind of cup, they, this cup is God's wrath. This is not a popular part of theology to talk about. We love talking, and you'll, you know this, especially in our current culture today. We love talking about the love of God. We love talking about the grace of God. We love talking, I mean, God is love. It says that in scripture. So we believe that God is love. We also believe that God has wrath. Theologically, if you read through scripture and we, we, we love the whole of scripture. If you read through scripture, you'll find passages over and over again that God hates evil. He hates sin. Is anyone happy about that? I'm, I mean, honestly, this is both good and bad for us. You should be happy that he hates evil because most of you have had evil done to you. You've had evil things, painful things happen to you. And it's been through death and through disease and through sin and through abuse and through actions that were completely unjust. And you need to know that there's a God in here that has wrath against sin. He can't stand it. He hates it when you're hurt. Here's the bad part of the, that coin though. The flip side is that, guess what? We have evil in us. So God has wrath against, against evil and sin that, that we do, that we commit. Jesus says, and, and this is the beauty of, of the gospel, is that Jesus came to take on, he came to drink the cup. You know what he says in the garden right before he's crucified? He says, Father, would you take, do you know what he says? He says, don't save me from the cross. He says, don't free me from being uh, crucified. He says, would you take this cup from me? That's what he's talking about. Would you take this wrath, but, but not my will, but yours be done. And Jesus submits to the cross to take on the wrath of God, to take on uh, our sin, our penalty. We call it atonement. In Hebrews, we call it the propitiation where he takes our place so that we could have freedom. Isn't this good? Amen. This is good news. God cares about evil being done and he is against evil. And he's come to bring goodness and freedom and love in place of it. Jesus says, you, I, I, I've come to drink a cup um, and it's a cup of God's wrath. I've also come to have a baptism that's different than the baptism that we had a week ago. Was anyone at baptism services, baptisms at the lake? Wasn't that amazing? Amazing. Yeah, you can celebrate that. 10 of you celebrated that, that's amazing. There were like 30 to 40 people who made the public declaration profession of their faith in Jesus. And it, I love it. It gives me goosebumps. I watch kids declare their love for Jesus, adults, people from all stages and backgrounds of life declaring their love for Jesus. And we believe, we teach um, theologically that baptism is this symbol of being uh, kind of crucified with Christ. We, we've been, we die to our sins 
And then we, we, as we come out of the water, it's we're made alive in Christ. That's amazing. That's good news. Baptism though in the first century did not always mean that. In fact, for the Jews, baptism held two primary images. One was of repentance, it's turning from sin, which no one likes to do. Cause this is like someone busting your chops and like you were wrong and I have to admit that I'm wrong and turn from it, okay? One was repentance. The other one is suffering. I just found this out this week in Bible, in, in studying through the scripture. I, I didn't know this. I was like, wait, so God, baptism often symbolized suffering? And this is what Jesus is talking. He's talking about, he's talking about the way of suffering for the redemption of humankind. And then he says, guys, you will. You, in fact, you, you think you can and you really think that it's gonna be like some war and I'm gonna take over. And you think that you know what I'm talking about, but you, in fact, will drink the cup and you will be baptized with the same baptism. And Jesus is predicting their future. Every one of the disciples was martyred for their faith, except for John, who is right here. Uh, he wasn't actually martyred. He was boiled in oil and he survived being boiled in oil. Um, oh, he survived being boiled in oil. So he was um, sequestered to an island where he wrote uh, the book of Revelation on Patmos. All of the disciples faced this kind of suffering for the cause of Christ. You will, Jesus says. Notice this last part though, that's kind of weird and, and a little bit cryptic. Um, but to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These belong to those for whom they have been prepared. Jesus, aren't you God? Don't you get to decide that? This, what I love about um, Jesus' life, one of the things that I love about Jesus' life is that he demonstrates humility. He demonstrates humility. Um, in Philippians chapter two, it says that Jesus emptied himself. This is called kenosis, where he literally empties himself of his own rights. This doesn't make sense to us because today we're all about fighting for any type of rights that we can. Jesus gives away his rights. He's a God that doesn't hold on to rights and then hold them over us. He gives them away. Um, there's another place where it talks about his second coming. And he says, even the son of man, even I, Jesus, don't know when the second coming is happening, but that's for the father. Wait a minute, you don't know when you're coming? I, I kind of have this weird picture in my head of how it's gonna go. And the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are in heaven. And Jesus, they're all just sitting around and the Father's like, boy, it's time to go. Jesus, get down there. And he's like, whoa, I don't, and Jesus is surprised. That's what it was, in scripture, Jesus doesn't know. Jesus doesn't know. And there's something that happened for me. Um, it, was, it was several years ago um, when I was in a theology class on the Trinity. Here we go into the deep end, okay? I was, in a, I was in a theology class on the Trinity. It was one of my favorite classes that I took um, on our Christian heritage and our Christian belief on orthodoxy. And one of my favorite parts as, as we read about and studied the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit was this word um, reciprocity. Are you with me? Okay. Reciprocity is a similar word to reciprocal or reciprocate. So if you were to reciprocate and I said, hey, Dan, I love you, to reciprocate would be, I love you too. I love you too, John. Thanks, Dan. I appreciate that, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Little air hug, okay? <laughs> 
That's this reciprocity. What we believe about the Trinity is not that the Trinity is filled with three members who are arrogant and egomaniacal, but they're filled with three members who actually um, defer to each other. And the son, and it shows this throughout scripture, the son, Jesus, submits his will to the father. He empties himself. He submits all kinds of things to the father. The Holy Spirit directs our attention, not to the Holy Spirit, but to Jesus. And then Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit and sends the Holy Spirit. And so does the father. And they're constantly like, you, you, you. No, but but you, but you. Reciprocal love. Jesus here is not saying he doesn't have the power to know who's on the right or left. It says here that Jesus is like, I submit, I even, I, the son of God, am even submitting my will to others within the Trinity. This is a beautiful picture for us, church. This is a beautiful picture for us on what to follow in Jesus. All right, here we go. When the 10 heard about this though, they became indignant, fired up. Have you been angry recently? You've been angry recently. I know that. Because I'm friends with some of you on Facebook, you know what I'm saying? So I see that, you know what I mean? Have you been angry recently? They became indignant with James and John. That's not fair. What are they doing? Those sellouts, they went behind our back, they betrayed us. They what? They became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together. And I just wonder, I just wonder what Jesus is thinking. I really wish that there was like little side, com, you know, color commentary on what Jesus is thinking. Like, you idiots. How many times do I have to get, come here? You're, you're messing things up, guys. Come on, you're, get, get over here. You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them, not so with you. He's breaking paradigms. Again, we talked about our two goals, actionable service, active service, and the attitude of service. He's breaking their attitude right here. He's breaking their paradigm. You know that that's not what it means to lead. That's not what it means to rule. That's not what it means to follow me. Not so with you, not so with you. My kids um, occasionally will come up to us and ask for candy. In fact, it's not really occasional. It's like 10 times a day, okay? <laughs> I mean, my kids have a sweet tooth. I think they get it honestly. Anyone else, you know, you, you want, yeah. So my kids come up and when they ask for candy, I have three kids, Carter, Addie, and Easton. When they ask for candy, all of them have to get a piece of candy. You can't give one piece to a kid and then they didn't, the other one doesn't get a piece, right? And it's not fair, exactly right. So they go to the candy jar and the, the first one pulls out like a king size. You know what I mean? Because I didn't raise no fool. You know, they said a piece of candy. I get to get a piece of candy. I mean, I'm not dumb. I'm not grabbing one of the little fun sizes, all right? But the other one grabs a fun size. And then the other one's like, but they see and they're like, well, he... He got a king size. Can I get a, can I get five of these smaller ones? To, and it's this positioning. And by the end of it, I'm like, I want to destroy all candy. <laughs> I never want candy in the house ever again. We don't want, no candy ever. All right. You've ruined it. I tried to give you a gift. 
This is what, I mean, this is small. Like I think ingrained in us, we are these jockeyers for position, these comparison people, these people who are prone to jealousy and comparison. What about him? What about her? What did, but that's not fair. How in the, you, and we become indignant. We become angry or we stuff our anger and we become whiners. Any whiners out there? Where are my whiners? Come on, me too. All right. Man, if I were there, I would do the same thing the disciples did. I'd be indignant. I'd be angry. What do you mean? You're gonna jockey for yourself? And then what happens in those moments is like, then you have to puff up your chest too. Oh, you're gonna, no, 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 no. And then it just keeps, it's this one-upmanship. Jesus uses this analogy though. He says, you know that the Gentile rulers lorded over them and the high officials exercise authority over them. So in my lifetime, I have never met in person or seen in person, even with my own eyes, um, one of our presidents. I've never been, I've never seen one of our presidents in person. It's always been through a screen, um, through the television, through a newspaper, through an article. I've never seen one of them in person. And, and I know that this is gonna be shocking to you, but the internet wasn't around in the first century. No TV, no newspapers, no printing press, no Facebook. Uh, Jesus and the disciples, they're living in, predominantly in Jerusalem and in Judea and, and uh, they went into Samaria a little bit. The emperor, Caesar Augustus, is in Rome, far, far away. It's possible that they've never even seen Caesar, that they've never even, except through one piece uh, of item, one item, and that would be coins, currency. Uh, This is on the left, there's a denarius. This is a denarius from the first century. On the right, another type of coin. There were two coins that Jesus talked about in the book of Mark. And one was the denarius and one was this copper coin that was, um, uh, it was, printed by Herod, I believe Herod Tetrarch. The one on the left, this, this image is of one of the Caesars. Um, and it's actually Tiberius, who is the son of Caesar Augustus. And on the coin, so again, picture with me, the disciples maybe have never seen except through this coin. They've never read about on some newspaper. They don't have a, a TV or anything like that, but they see daily through coins, these images of their rulers. And on this coin, do you know what it says? It says, God, Caesar Augustus. Not in God we trust, not e pluribus unum, nothing like that. It says, God, Caesar Augustus. What kind of message is Rome sending? On this other one for Herod, um, it said, on this coin, it said, um, Herod, the one who deserves adoration or worship. Jesus right here is saying to the disciples, he's like, guys, you know, (laughs) you know, I wonder even if he pulls out, you know what they, how they lead and you despise that, but you're becoming that which you despise. You ever had a moment like that in your life? You look in the mirror and you're like, oh, I, 
I've become the thing that I, that I detest just on the other side, just with a different mission, but the same attitude, the same self-serving propaganda. Jesus is like, you want to be on the right and left? Do you want to coin, James, do you want a coin? James, the magnificent. Do you want that coin, James? John, you want a coin too? John, the, the, you know, the, the most devoted. John, the one who should be praised. Do you, want, do you want a coin too? It seems like Jesus, I mean, Jesus, like, what do you want? Tell me what is it that you want for, for me to do for you? And I think if we're all super honest, deep down, it's like, God, we want to be center. We want you to revolve around us. We want other people to revolve around us. We want to be that which everything orbits. And Jesus is like, that's gotta die. That's gotta be crucified. He actually says that. One of the analogies, he says that you would die, that you would be crucified with Christ. Paul says that in, in, in one of his letters, you'd be crucified with Christ. And I, I no longer live, I believe it's in Galatians chapter two. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, when I was doing some Bible study this week and you should go back um, and read through this um, this week, I would just challenge you to do that. We've been in Mark chapter 10, but if you go back or even the previous part of this chapter, Jesus predicts his death and he predicts his death for the third time. So as I was doing some Bible study, I'm like, okay, when did he predict, predict his death? The second time and the first time. Mark chapter eight, Mark chapter nine and Mark chapter 10 have something that we call parallelism, which is a literary term for us to say there are uh, the same ideas that are repeated that the author wants us to catch something really, really important. And in Mark chapter eight, what happens is Jesus predicts his death for the first time and Peter rebukes him. Do you remember this story? Peter rebukes him and Jesus says to him, you do not have in mind the things of God, but you have in mind human interests. Those two words, human interests. And then right afterward, Jesus teaches. And he said, if anyone wants to come and follow me, they must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. In Mark chapter nine, it happens again. Jesus predicts his death, all that he's going to suffer for the sake of the world, for redemption. Then he's on a, on a little journey with his disciples and they're all walking along the road and he hears them arguing. And he's like, hey guys, what are you arguing about? They're like, oh, just about who's the greatest. <laughs> Do you, what did I just tell you about? They're arguing about who's the greatest. And Jesus says again in Mark chapter nine, if you wanna be great, you must become least. Mark chapter 10, the chapter that we're in, right before that, right before the text that we're, that we're in, Jesus predicts his death a third time. And you know what happens after he predicts his death for a third time? James and John stroll in. I wonder if they're even doing like the swag, the, you know, who, who is it, Conor McGregor that walks like that? They're even walking in with this kind of swagger and they're like, hey, Jesus, could we sit at your right and left? You guys are dense. What do you, I've to, do you not remember what I told you? Deny self, take up your cross. You must become least. Over and over, Jesus is teaching us in Mark chapter nine or Mark chapter eight, Mark chapter nine and Mark chapter 10, what it means to follow him, what it means to be a part of the body of believers, the squad of God, the church, 
that does not look for position or power or pleasure or pride, but looks to empty ourselves, submit to Jesus to serve other people. It is the way of Jesus. It's the way of Jesus. There's two things that strike me that are like pitfalls that we're so tempted um, toward when it comes to serving. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. There's two really practical pitfalls. The first one is this, and it's in a phrase, that's beneath me. And the other one on the other side of the road in this ditch is that's above me. First, that's beneath me, okay? That's beneath me. Uh, I couldn't do that. Um, I couldn't change those diapers. I couldn't sweep those floors. I couldn't in humility apologize to that person. Uh, I can't go home and say, I'm sorry to my kids. Students, as you're back at school, I couldn't do that in the locker room. No way. I couldn't do that on the team. No, that's for those people to do. Not for me, I'm the captain. Nope, that's beneath me. The other thing that's, uh, that's over on this side is that's above me. Now, what I love about this verse here is it just says that Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This was something that, something that just stood out afresh for me in this text this week. Jesus, while he served and stooped down, he, did, he was not self-deprecating. He wasn't insecure. He knew what he came to do and he was confident in his mission. He had something to give that no one else could give. And he was confident in that. You see, I think the same, the, the same coin, there's a, there's a uh, in its ego, and one side of the coin uh, of ego is pride and the other side is insecurity. And I talk to people who are in both camps, but I think it's just popular to be over in this camp. It's like, well, I'm not good at that. I'm so much, you know, you're so much better. I, I can't do that. No, I don't have anything. I don't have those kind of gifts. I'm like, stop it. You do. Do you, you, you read your Bible? Do you know that the Bible says that you're a masterpiece? God's poem that he penned, you're his masterpiece. You're his painting, his canvas that he painted. Each, each stroke of the, of, of the paintbrush. You're his opus. His, his, you know, that he orchestrated. You're that. And you've created, you've been created. It says this in Ephesians chapter two, you've been created in Christ Jesus to do good works. You've got something to offer. And not like, I've got something to offer, but like, I've got something to offer and, I, and I've submitted this to Jesus and I'm giving it with all my heart. Amen. That's beneath me, that's above me. A serving culture is a faithful culture, not flippant. It's humble, not proud. It's sacrificial, not comfortable. It's gracious, not begrudging. It's generous, not stingy. It's resilient, it's not shrinking back. I believe that God is calling us from being, from self-fulfillment to self-denial, from greatest to least, from first to last, from being served to being a servant, from greatest and even reframing greatest. Yeah, I, I love this time of the year for sports. I already said that. And one of my favorite apps on my phone is my ESPN app. Um, and this time of year, football is, we're, we're on the verge of the football season and Brady is back. How many of you are happy that Brady is back? 
he's back. He can't keep doing the retire and come back or he's gonna be kind of Brett Favre, okay? All right, but he's back. And most of the time, I mean, I've, you read articles on ESPN or you hear sport pundits talk about the GOAT. Do you know what the GOAT is? The greatest of all time. And people are arguing, well, who's the GOAT? Well, I believe it's, you know, count the rings. How many championships? Uh, we're going into NBA season's gonna be kicking off and LeBron is probably going to surpass Kareem an all-time points leader for the NBA. Pretty amazing. So they're talking about, is it LeBron or is it? No, it's Michael Jordan. Come on, it's Michael Jordan. No, it's Kareem, it's Bill Russell. And they're talking through all these, who's the greatest? And you know what happens when we talk about the greatest? What do we talk about? You know this, just th think about it. We talk about rings. Yeah. Who's got the bling? We talk about championships. We talk about stats. What was their percentage, percentages? How many points did they have? How many goals did they have? How many home runs did they have? How many whatever? And it's about these stats. That's how we measure greatest of all time. So Jesus here, Jesus here pulls the disciples together and imagine doing this with your team. If you're a coach, bring your team together this week and before a game, this is your, this is your kind of pregame speech, all right? Guys, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna let them score. And by letting them score, we're gonna win. <laughs> I know, you've never heard that. I, you, you won't have a team, they'll all leave. It's backward, it doesn't even make any sense. What Jesus is saying here, for you to become the greatest, it's not about the rings and the championships and the stats, it's, it's about becoming the least and a servant of all. But that doesn't make sense, it doesn't even compute for us. It's so counter to our culture. If you wanna become greatest, you must become least. I did some uh, study this week on kind of the, kind of the status or the state of volunteerism across the US. And uh, I went to a couple of different uh, sites, a couple of different nonprofits that measure volunteering across the US. And one of the first ones, this is actually the most depressing uh, statistic, but approximately 63 million Americans, 25% of the adult population volunteer their time, talents and energy to making a difference. Uh, if you do the math, it's 193 billion of their time to our communities. Now I wanted to find out where it's going. And so I looked on another, uh, another stat is much, uh, actually much more optimistic, much higher than 25%. It actually starts at 64 or 44%. Um, but it shows what this graph shows, this was from a Gallup poll that they did over the course of 10 or 15 years. And so they actually started in 2012 or 2013 and it was 65 or 66% of Americans volunteer their time. And it, it goes down to 64 and in 2020 it's 58 and in 2021 it's 56. And the trajectory just keeps going down. And what was kind of uh, embarrassing for, for me is that these statisticians noted that for, notice the orange line is religious volunteering in the US. And it, it's no better, in fact, it's worse. 44% to 38% to 35%, it keeps going down. So I did, uh, I, I asked our team, um, I asked Tracy on our staff, I was like, okay, what about impact? Like we, we take these kind of stats over the last 
10, 15, 20 years, where have we been? And uh, before COVID, we were at about 50% of our church putting skin in the game, being a part of the team, serving, doing something. Uh, In 2020 to 2021, um, we dropped to 21%. 325 people were serving with about 15, 20 attendants. Now I get it. Remember what happened in 2020? Does everyone remember what happened in 2020? Okay, yes. The, the sky fell, COVID happened. So, 20, so 21%. And I was super grateful for those 325 that were like, all right, we've got to just link arms and do it. Now, last year, look at this increase though. This is awesome. 2021 to 2022, 32%. We increased by 11%. Isn't that amazing? That's something to celebrate. Increased by, by 11%. I just wonder if we could just keep that trajectory going. It's another 10% of you that are like, I've not been offering my gifts. It's either beneath me or it's above me. But man, God, I wanna offer this year. I wanna be on the team. I wanna be a part. I wanna play my part. Impact from the time that we were founded, we had these values um, and I've got them up on the screen. We have this acrostic for impact. Innovation, multiplication, participation, authenticity, contagiousness, and transformation. And every year, about twice a year, we do I Am Impact classes. Those are our membership classes. Ryan uh, leads those and he says that he'll survey people. What are the ones that are, you know, put them in order, one to six, priority for you. Number one, authenticity across the board. I love how real and authentic and gritty and vulnerable our church is. And uh, next one is contagiousness. contagiousness. Uh, t- the next one is transformation. And then it goes multiplication, then innovation. And last place, participation. I, I, I want that to change. We've got some next steps for you as we close today. I said our two goals were to be, have active service and an attitude of service. So I have two goals for us. And I want you to just choose one of them. I want you to choose one of them as you go today. Next steps, number one, serve as purpose. If you wanna have a generative life of serving, you have to take on the mind of Christ to serve. And this might not be even anything super specific for you. It might be right smack dab in your marriage relationship, at school, with friends, whatever. It might be changing your thinking to change your life. It might be taking on the mind of Christ to be a servant in every category, even in the non-tangible categories. Second is very tangible, serve through practice. Don't be a sideline statistic. Get in the game. We've got a serve wall out here. This is the time of the year where our ministry teams are ramping up for the fall and for ministry and they're, they're bringing on new volunteers. They need new volunteers. We've got an unbelievable uh, frontline greeting team led by Justin and Leanne Sweeney. Um, we've got our safety team led by Brandon Molnix. We've got Celebrate Recovery that meets on Thursday nights led by Rose Meyer and Scott Davis and Scott Dykstra. And we've got a care team with Jeff Stewart and with Cheryl uh, Clark and we've got uh, Common Grounds. We've got Kid Zone and and uh, ISM and and this is just internal. We talked earlier about about Kids Hope, or what about serving at From or Alpha Family Center? All these different places that we partner with. What about that? Serve through practice. <clears throat> One of uh, just a really intriguing statistic to me. 
um, as I was reading this article this week um, and they were talking about the state of volunteering, it said this, 42% of people became volunteers after being asked to volunteer. Not like, man, I just had this burning desire to help kids. Man, I had this burning desire to be a mentor. Man, I had this burning desire to sweep some floors. But someone just asked me. So let me just take it a little second. I'm gonna look as many people in the face as I possibly can right now. Okay, all right. I've made eye contact with lots of you. You're invited. You're invited. We want you. We need you. Impact, Impact needs you, Lowell needs you, West Michigan needs you, our schools need you, our community needs you, this world needs you and I to be this kind of body of Christ, right? Amen. They need it, our world needs it, the church needs it, Jesus calls us to it. We emphasize you belong here a lot, it's on our wall, it's welcoming, it's hospitable. We even emphasize the third word of this phrase, belong, become, believe. We talk about accepting Jesus, making decisions of faith, getting baptized. But the hardest of the three, I think, is become. It's progressive. It's progressively growing toward and learning and, and sanctifying, becoming like Jesus, an invitation to join Jesus and follow him. Church, you're not just invited to belong this weekend, but to become a part of the body to become a servant of Jesus, to become last in a world of first, to become less in a world vying for greater. <clears throat> I wanna close with this right before we, we pray. Um, I've kind of harped on James and John today and um, rightly so. But what I love about the scripture is that if you read toward the end of the New Testament, you'll find three letters that were written by John, the one who wanted position and power and authority. And John writes in first, second and third John about love and his life was transformed by following Jesus. This is the verse that he says to the brothers and sisters in Christ in the first century. This is how we know what love is, church. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. You think he's remembering this line as a ransom for many. And we ought not to take up position and power or authority. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and our sisters. This is transformation. God, would you do that work in us? Help us to be these kind of servants for you, Jesus. Lay down our lives. That we would have an attitude of serving that would be actionable, that would change our lives, that would change the lives around us, Jesus. That we would become a part of this squad that is just putting skin in the game that's doing the hard thing of emptying ourselves, denying ourselves, and taping, taking up our cross to follow you, that we, instead of seeking to become greatest, we'd be seeking to become least and, and, and last and a servant of all God. Would you make our church, make us a body of servants of you, Jesus? God, that we could just be a part of your mission here on earth. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Thanks for coming today. You're dismissed. We'll see you next week.